Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. How do you compete against a huge company like Amazon or even a really well-funded startup for talent? If you're competing checkbook to checkbook, you will lose every time. The only way to do it, to tilt the odds in your favor, is to really understand the career wounds of the person you are trying to recruit and be able to connect the dots as to how your opportunity fulfills their desires. Now, this requires that you just listen. Stop selling and start understanding what is important to the individual. And this will allow you to stand out from your competition and allow the person you need to hire to see the value above and beyond the paycheck. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win the strongest hires by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Michael Downing. He is the founding partner of the MDSV Venture Fund. Michael is a Silicon Valley serial entrepreneur and has co-founded six software companies over a 28-year career. Three of his companies were acquired, and one had an IPO back in 2006. And for the last three years, Downing has focused on investing in promising early-stage tech companies via his venture capital fund, MDSV. Michael has recruited and hired and managed hundreds of employees over the span of his career, which is what makes Michael the perfect expert for today's topic. Michael, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, Rick. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. I'm excited to have you as always. Thank you for being here because I've been actually trying to get you on the show for a while, but we finally connected up recently. I know it. Well, I mean, you got to tell everybody we worked historically at what, like two or three of my companies in the past. Yes. Where I think we worked together and you yes. helped us find amazing people. So there's a history there. Yeah, most definitely. I'm glad that I did find amazing people for you because that was when we worked together last time was back when you were at Tout. And that was the beginning of my transition into retain search. So I was still like that transactional recruiter at that point. So I'm glad to be past that. But I'm happy always when I did a good job for somebody. Today, we're going to discuss why leading with the checkbook is a very bad idea, especially if you're a startup. And then we're going to talk about how to win talent by providing value other than the money. Sound like a plan? Yeah, it's a big topic. Yep. You're in the Silicon Valley and you probably see it quite often. I know startups are just getting huge, huge numbers when they get funded these days and they're paying really, really well. What is the challenge at this point for that company that doesn't really have the funding yet? They don't right. have that big payroll to be able to support. What are they running into right now? This is the enormous challenge. The biggest mountain to climb for entrepreneurs and people who are starting new companies and young companies and early stage companies, things have changed quite a bit. If this was 15 years ago or 20 years ago, what we'd be talking about right now is, oh, how do you hire good people when Google and Facebook and Amazon are paying them 500, 600K a year, you know, whatever it may be to start? And now the landscape has shifted a little bit where other startups are getting 20 million, 30 million, $50 million series A's where they've got so much money that they're just going out and the the MO on hiring is how do we just create an insanely rich package for people where they just never question whether they accept it or not. So it's changed a little bit over the last 10 to 15 years or so. 
but it's still the biggest challenge. One thing I always say, and over the years, having invested in a lot of early stage companies, I've, I've actually advised even more early stage companies. Everybody struggles with this challenge. In my mind, it all goes back to this one singular core premise of when you're starting a business and when you're trying to do a startup and when you're trying to hire that first six people, eight people, those core members of your team that are going to do things like lead sales or lead marketing or lead HR, these kind of really core positions. And that is if the vision and the dream and the mission of the company is not big, bold, beautiful, kick-ass and amazing, it just makes everything harder. And when everybody else has got more money than you do, and when everybody else has already hired some badass engineer from Amazon or some kick-ass marketing person from Google or whatever it may be, it just makes it incredibly hard to bring on people and get them to believe in what you're doing if it's not a big, bold vision. I mean, funny enough, this is also a core requirement to raise money for that startup. So Raising money and getting that first seed round or series A round or whatever it may be becomes infinitely harder if you don't have that big, bold vision. So this is a conversation I have with companies quite a bit, which is if you're struggling enormously on hiring key people, you may want to do a little bit of inventory on just the vision of that company and the story that you're telling and your ability to get people to really believe in that and sign on and be part of that adventure. So your thinking is that a lot of them are thinking way too small. Well, I mean, just generally speaking, talking to early stage companies who are trying to raise their first 5 million, 8 million and so on out there, and they're struggling enormously with hiring and finding key people in a large percentage of those scenarios, they are thinking very specifically, they're zeroing in on a core business model or a certain role in the market, and they're not thinking big enough. And oftentimes, these days, if you're trying to hire an amazing person, it's got a great track record, great background, been in senior roles, they're only going to drop everything and join up with somebody if it's a dent the universe kind of opportunity. If it's something so big, so unique, that they're willing in terms of opportunity cost to go out there and join up and do that with you. So it's got to be kind of a big kick-ass vision and role in the market, which is not always easy to put together. Yeah, I would agree. And we've seen it history, like even Uber, like look how quickly Uber took off and scaled because of that vision that, hey, like we're going to completely disrupt and change the whole industry. Well, and just as a great example, when Uber first started, they struggled in the beginning because it was a Uber cab. It was a cab calling service. And guess what? That was not really a huge vision. And then within the next 18 months, they adjusted the articulation of that vision to changing the fabric of transportation and logistics. Wow. So you went from like a little model to change the world model. And that certainly helped things. And they were very successful at raising money at that point. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier too, people are getting paid crazy numbers. So there's got to be something more than just the money in order for you to get somebody to join up with you, right? If you're trying to pull totally. really, really good people. And I'm going to take it down a little bit deeper. I think the people have to align with the values of the company as well. That's a big thing. I'm, I'm noticing more and more, especially with this great resignation that we're going through, that oh, yeah. people are 
willing to talk, but it's got to be something that gives them something that they're missing in their current role. Like maybe they want yeah. some growth or some more responsibility, or maybe they've got a manager who's a schmuck and they want to get away from, but you've got to be able to heal that piece of their pain point. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. When you're the little guy, and when you're going up against people that have tons of money or tons of cachet or position in the market or whatever it may be, you got to think about what enables you to punch above your weight. And as we said, big vision, big dreams, like an amazing picture out there can definitely help you get those great folks. But then there's other things that are important too. And you were alluding just a second ago, which is oftentimes in the past, and, and not that this is a big secret, but Oftentimes you can find people who may have been not at that really super senior position, but just under it. And you could tell that they're performers, they deliver, they've contributed awesome, but they've definitely been under the thumb of somebody else. And if you can kind of give them that empowered position within your organization and hey, here's your chance to run with the horses and go make it work out there, sometimes elevating somebody is enough to really get them to believe and join on. I've seen those be the best hires ever because you're giving somebody that ability to come up underneath somebody's shadow. What happens is a lot of times we as entrepreneurs zero in on the person that's already doing the job. We want them to come duplicate what they're already doing for us. And there's really no incentive for them to do that. You're just chasing the wrong rabbit. Well, that's a really good point. If you think you're going to just go out and get somebody and just make them do this exact same thing that you saw them do at this other company, I don't think a lot of people are going to be super motivated by just, I want you to replicate exactly what you did over here. They want the open canvas. They want the ability to get creative and make their own way, you know, and do it their own way. And giving people a little bit of rain and letting them run with it is just such an important concept. Yeah, and I'm finding that's the best way to draw talent today, being able to give somebody the ability to spread their wing. If you can do that, you're going to win them. What are you finding is being important to a company? Why is this important to a company today? Things have changed a lot. Things have changed a lot even in the last couple of years, right? How people are working, where people are working, why people are working, like everything has uh, been turned upside down and, and shifted. And so these things that we're talking about, which are, you know, how do you identify or motivate or get people excited about joining on is one thing. But there's this other humongous topic that everybody is dealing with from the biggest companies like Google down to early stage, seed stage startups, which is, the way in which we work and connect and engage and collaborate is forever changed. Doesn't look like it's going to go back anytime soon. And so one thing that I think is really important is this idea of not conforming to some old notion of how people are going to contribute and how people are going to get things done. And obviously on a national landscape, we're seeing this crystal clear and this great resignation and people just saying, hey, if I got to come back in the office, I'm out of here, right? And they can do that because there's 10 other positions for them to take, right? Or join a startup or live off my crypto or you know whatever it may be, right? So the way in which people contribute, the way in which they play an important team role, like that, the definition of how that works has changed. And so I'll tell you a funny story and showing my age here. But back in the 90s, when I first started doing startups in San Francisco, and this is like, you know, 95, 96, 97. And just so you know, at that point, startups were not cool. They weren't cool till about 98. People started moving out to the West Coast and moving to San Francisco to do them. And people would actually leave their jobs and join a startup. In 96, it was only the, the crazies and people who threw caution to the wind who would join you in one of these early stage startups. 
But one of the things that I started doing in about 96, 97, and kept doing this throughout the late 90s, was when we'd get a company going and we'd get a bit, bit of seed financing, the moment I would go out and get us an office, I would always do this one thing that, that people thought was hilarious and crazy, and I got kind of a reputation for it, which was I would always force the landlord to write into the office deal that people could bring their dogs into the office. And I remember the first time I told my real estate broker, like, yeah, this has to be in the contract. He's like, that's insane. It'll never happen. This is a building owner. You know, you can't do it. And the reason why I pushed for that, which I think is kind of in line with people's changing habits and how they're working and and just the way the world has shifted, is I realized back then, at that time, I was dealing with a bunch of younger, highly technical people, a lot of single people who, you know, many of them did have a dog at home. And I knew they had to leave that dog at home and it kind of screwed up their lifestyle and they had to run home at lunch to walk them and whatnot. And so I just said, we're just going to have this written in. So every couple of years when I had to shift to go and get a new office space for our companies, I mean, we got known as like, you know, the wacky CEO who makes the landlord write into the contract that dogs are allowed. And like, oh, I'm going to have to change my insurance and all this other kind of stuff. But it actually worked. And then, you know, after a couple of companies, I would hire people back or people from my first company would come join and they would always say, yeah, I remember how this was the first company I could go to where like we could bring our dogs to work and I didn't have to run home. But at that point, that was kind of a nutty nonconformist thing to try to make the lifestyle component of being part of the company interesting and better and more accommodating. And I, I think we're all challenged with that now in yeah. a different kind of way. If somebody wants to sit on a beach in Thailand and write code, that's okay as long as they're contributing. Because if they're not going to do it for you, they're going to do it for somebody else. And now (laughs) we're a global workforce. So somebody might recruit them from, you know, Brazil or Thailand or wherever else. Yeah. 20% of Google's programmers are sitting on a beach in Thailand right now. (laughs) Just FYI. Good for them. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, subscribers, keep an eye out for our newsletter. We're giving away 10 signed copies of Healing Career Wounds. Simply complete the link survey and your name will be entered into a drawing. You'll also be able to download a free chapter of the book just for participating. Our guest today is Michael Downing. He's the founding partner of MDSV Fund. And we're discussing why it's a bad idea to lead with your checkbook today and how to compete at a deeper level. So we just talked a little bit about some of the challenges. Michael, let's bust into what the solution is for this because we both have some pretty strong ideas on how you can win talent without having to write a huge check. Yeah, we mentioned earlier, which is, I'm just going to repeat it because it's such a key concept, which is at least for early stage companies, making sure, and this goes along with kind of the notion of your values and what the company's all about, what people are committing to and signing up for when they join the company. But we mentioned just the vision of the company has got to be big and bold, right? You got to be on a mission to do something big. It's not just some incremental improvement or some, the eighth CRM technology to compete or whatever it may be. It's got to be something big and bold. People want to be a part of something special. And so that is really crucial. We talked, you know, a little bit about not conforming to tradition and making sure that you create an environment where those values are reflected and where people's lifestyles and who they are and what they like to do is something that's supported. Just in terms of tactically 
One of the most important things that I communicate to early stage companies, actually young and mid-stage companies alike, when it comes to finding great people, when it comes to recruiting people and actually going through that process successfully of getting people to join, one of the biggest recommendations I always make is what I call plant your roots deep, which is basically set up an advisory board. Find great people out there who are experts, experienced, who have built great companies, who have sold companies, taken them public, whatever. They've had some level of success. They are a credible voice, recognized individual. Make them believers in what you're doing, which by the way is a good test. If you can't get them to be deliver, uh, believers in what you're doing, maybe you need to adjust your, your vision. But with those advisory board members, they become such an unbelievably helpful resource in identifying and recruiting and walking people through the process of joining the company. I mean, I cannot tell you just in my own companies, how many times we found an amazing candidate. We knew it was the perfect person. We knew it was a competitive situation and we were the underdog. And because we had some great advisor who was a known person who said, hey, let's go grab coffee. And that impressed the heck out of the candidate that it helped us get the ball over the line and make it happen. I've seen it happen over and over again with my portfolio companies too. It's just such a great resource. Yeah. I run into a lot of pre-funded startups. They all complain about not being able to find a co-founder or somebody else to like join their right. team. And they have advisors that they've brought on, but they're not really utilizing those networks of their advisors to get the introductions to get people on board. But I think yeah. that might have loop around too to the other problem that you had mentioned earlier was maybe the idea is not big enough to get somebody attracted yeah. if you're doing something right. small. I don't see somebody quitting their job to go join on to build a lifestyle company with you. Absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier, this should be looked at as kind of a filter. Hey, if I can't get advisors excited about what I'm doing, how the heck am I going to get somebody to quit their job and join me and you know take on a senior role? In a way, I kind of look at it as concentric circles. When I'm creating a business or, or starting a business, like, can I get four to six well-respected known people in the market to listen to my pitch, listen to what I'm doing and get super excited about it. If I can make that happen, then next concentric circle, can I find some key people out there in the market whose skills and background and work history I really respect? Can I talk to them and get them excited about potentially joining the company? And so if you just kind of follow that flow, to use a kind of musician analogy here, you know, you develop a new album of songs, you're going to go to the local bar and sit there and play it for the 20 folks who are sitting in that bar. And if they really like it and respond well, well, then you may go on tour and hit the West Coast. And if they really like it, you may tour the rest of the country. So I think you have to kind of think about this counterintuitively in the same way where this is a process of really developing an amazing vision, a mission for the company, and as you said, a set of values that kind of defines who the company is, evangelizing that and getting people excited about it so that you get the team members you need, you get the advisors you need, and then not to avoid the obvious here, you get the investors you need, right? Like it's impossible to get early stage investors on board, whether it's a 500K round or a $5 million round, unless they can really believe in a big vision. And it doesn't sound like you know the same thing that these other four companies are doing. Well, how do you know when you have a big vision? What's the tip off for the entrepreneurs that your vision's too small or not big? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean you're, you're probably not getting people writing checks. Well, I mean, that's the other thing is you have to pay attention to the, the data, you know, the feedback, like how are people responding? And it's one of these things where 
when you see it, you know it's happening. And when it's not, it's not. There's not a lot of gray area. And so I forgot who it was. I think it may have been Keith Raboy or somebody who said a great vision or a great kind of pitch that lays out the vision of a company. When you're in a room, there's guys sitting around the table and you give that pitch, you know, you want half the folks in there to say, that's crazy. And half the people to say, oh, that's cool. And if if that's kind of the composition of reactions, then you know you're on track. And I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> that's, because, that's fantastic advice, by the way. Because I think yeah, a lot because, of people don't yeah. read the room and they just leave and they think they did well in the pitch, but there's right. no feedback and weeks go by and they're scrapping to find out what went on. I mean, I can tell you in just my own situations being my own companies that I started over the years, the ones that really took on a lot of momentum and did incredibly well were the ones where at the earliest stages I was pitching people, when I would walk them through what we were doing, 75% of the people say, that's just impossible. That's not going to happen. It's too out there. It's like too, too crazy. But 25% of the people would go like, oh man, that's amazing. Like if you can do that, this is going to be incredibly cool. And so I think you've got to shoot for that kind of moonshot position, some big vision, even if you're working on something as mundane as the next great CRM software. And I apologize to all the CRM software developers out there. It's just the most (laughs) mundane thing I can think of. Yeah. But there's got to be some way that you can repackage it and envision it as, you know, it's going to do so much more or be something so different than what we're all accustomed to as a CRM application. So this has to do with the vision, being able to see a market that others can't see. That's part of the whole process. And it's just as important for candidates that you're trying to recruit and hire as it is for investors that you're trying to get to write a check into your company. That's so very true. How do I really build a strong advisory board? Like, What would the steps be that I'd need to take I agree with you 100%. And you know what? I've been actually doing it maybe a little bit backwards because I haven't really fully built out my advisory board, but I've started laying the groundwork for a lot of people that I've known throughout the years that I've cultivated relationships with to join my company once I get it going. To build that advisory board, which is going to lead to introductions to people that'll ultimately ensure your success in getting funding or whatever else. How do I do that if I don't know where to go? Yeah, it's such a good question. And the truth is, there's really only one way to do this, which is do exactly what you just mentioned a second ago, which is let's take inventory of everybody I know. Let's look at everybody I know and I've worked with over the years, and let's look at their relative connections to key influencers, credible voices in this market or an adjacent market or recognizable folks who have a position of authority in certain markets. And those are different kinds of people, right? There are successful entrepreneurs who have built companies in certain categories. That's a great kind of advisor. Why? Because they've done it. They've been successful. They've gone through this whole challenge and and they can be really valuable. There's slightly more technical voices of authority and credibility, right? Like this may be this amazing developer who created Lucene back in the days, which you know led to index databases and whatnot. So it might be something that's kind of a highly technical credibility and having those people, which appeals to a different group. And I think it's really good to have a blend of advisors that have that kind of business builder, entrepreneurial background and cachet, maybe some highly technical and kind of industry technology kind of cachet. And then even others that may be just known for being investors in great companies and being able to help those companies. 
So, you know, we've got quite a few of those folks in Silicon Valley. And if you have that combination, that can really give you superpowers in terms of who you can connect with, who you can recruit. But, but in order to get to those people, I think you have to start with, here's everybody I know, here's everybody I've ever met, and who can connect me to these folks? It's pretty hard to just cold pitch a lot of these well-known individual folks who could be great uh, advisory board members. And so you really got to work your network. And, you know, one person can connect you with three others and those three others can connect you to more. So there's kind of an amplification and network effect here that can happen if you really work it. It's kind of like the three degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? So like you can find somebody who knows somebody who knows that person. It all goes back to Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Exactly. You know what? I would just like to add one thing too to this is that when you've built out like a strong advisory board, please, please, please have a strong interview process in place as well. So that if you yeah. have, if you get these introductions to people, they take you seriously. As a startup, I think that's a challenge. That's a really good point. I think you and I were talking about this the other day, but I mean, it, it, when I think back on it, the first one is say, I have made every mistake in the book. I mean, over six companies, I've literally named a mistake <laughs> and I've made it. Luckily, I got lucky a few times along the way. But, you know, one thing that we used to do, and I I just think back on it, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we did this, is we would spend so much time trying to identify great candidates. We would spend so much energy trying to engage and attract them and, you know, get them excited about the company. And then when it came time to interview, we would just wing it. Like, I mean, I would, you know, I was 25, 26, 27 years old when I was doing some of these kind of, I'm sure some of these folks just thought we were complete idiots when we were (laughs) doing interviews because we were just like, let's talk about, you know, what you did last week. And there was absolutely no structure to it whatsoever. And you probably lost a good people, like quite a few good people because of that. I'm sure some, a lot of those folks walked out of these interviews just like, who are these jokers? And so... Um, had I, you know, if I were able to go back and kind of do it differently, I would have definitely listened to some of my more senior advisors or smart people or have more of a methodology. You know, you spend all this time to get people in the top of the funnel. Don't screw it up by having a kind of fly by the seat of your pants interview process, which is unstructured, which I did. And I would agree with you hundred percent. And that's where most people lose talent is mid funnel or in the interview process. All right, shoot, we're getting pretty close on time. Michael, what would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience so they can plug into the business today? Yeah, I mean, as you're out there trying to build out the team and do great things, I mean, I think that the three key points that I always come back to are make sure that that core vision, the values, the the mission of what the company's trying to do is enormously big. In the early stage, it can't be too big. It can't be too big. I would say the second thing that's critically important is think about how you can build out an advisory board of respected and credible folks. That will be a superpower for recruiting and hiring. And then, you know, I think the last thing, especially in light of what's been going on over the last couple of years is don't be a conformist in terms of how you structure the relationship with great people. Get creative on how you support people's changing work habits schedules, lifestyles, et cetera, and be open with that. And that just comes down to listening to your people. Exactly. Yeah. Michael, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, find out more about your fund? Yeah, you can just email me at michael at mdsv.vc. Awesome. All right. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. 
If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this shows for you, and we welcome your feedback. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickettstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Neda Nasruddin. She is the founder of Rise Up For You. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard.